Welcome to Keith Knight, Don't Tread on Anyone. This is a book summary and analysis of Chaos Theory by Robert P. Murphy. Two essays on market anarchism. Essay one is titled Private Law. Essay two is titled Private Defense. The thesis of the book is a system of private law means that people who can't come to an agreement on their own will literally seek the opinion of a third party. Similar to how today judges don't write laws, make laws, and pass laws, a judge renders an opinion from your local judge all the way up to a Supreme Court. Murphy's saying simply, a system of voluntarily funded competition is superior to the coercively funded monopoly of the state. Not that everything's going to be perfect. He mentions in the introduction a question, is the market capable of defining and protecting property rights? Markets do a lot of great things. They distribute food, clothing, medicine, uh, pots, pans, lights, furniture, cups, computers, televisions, mouses, microphones. Can a free market uh, defend and define property rights? Now, also, not only can they do them, of course, they'll fall short because markets are made up of people, but can they do so in an equal or better manner than the state can? And he says, yes, the market will not only be more efficient, it would also be more equitable. So, uh, how different is the power that I have from the power that John McCain had when he was alive? Or uh, me versus Ted Cruz, or me versus AOC, or me versus Donald Trump. There's a great power differential. They have the ability, with their pals in Congress, to pass laws and force people to do things they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Whereas, let's take me and Jeff Bezos. How much better is his TV than mine? It's definitely better. But is it, it, but is it like 100,000 times better? Just because he's 100,000 times richer? How much better is his computer? How much better is his food? How much better is his wine? Granted, all of those are probably better, but not much better. There's more equality in the free market, and there's less equality when it comes to things like courts. A rich person's much more likely to get off scot-free in court. Uh, wealthier people have much better schools than the state because the state doesn't try to appeal to a voluntary purchasing uh, customer basis. Now, two essays on market anarchism. What does he mean by anarchism? He has the word chaos in the title. Well, really, he means uh, word anarchy from the Greek prefix without or the absence of and the Greek noun archon meaning master or ruler. Anarchy does not mean without rules. It literally means without rulers, without masters. Now, what is the difference between here are the rules in my house, here are the rules in my business, and here are the rules of the country? Well, they're different in size, but that doesn't get to the heart of the issue. The difference is a ruler claims the right to initiate violence against you when you have not voluntarily contracted with them on property they have voluntarily acquired or acquired justly through original appropriation. That is the difference between here are the rules of the hotel and if you don't like America, you can move to Guatemala. The, print, uh, the, the moral obligation is not on me to leave the country, but on status to stop advocating the initiation of violence. Uh, Murphy says, here are some examples of non-coercive 
uh, non-central planned things that we see in society. Language. Who invented language? What was that person's name? Can I see those maps? Well, this was something a little more uh, sp spontaneous. Uh, who invented science? Well, this is science is a process millions of people engage in. We seek authorities. Newton, Einstein, Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson. We seek authorities, but none of them have the right to coercively rule us or initiate violence against peaceful people. Uh, who, uh, who's in charge of inventing math? Who invented the arts or movies or plays or paintings? Well, these are a lot of things that arose spontaneously. Money, the medium of exchange. Who invented philosophy? How is the central planning of philosophy? Uh, who decides on what is historically accurate? A lot of these things are done through what's referred to as spontaneous order. The usual example is the pencil. Who invented the pencil? Well, literally no one can make it because it involves granite. It involves ju just take wood alone. Who chops down the wood? So do the people who chop down the wood, are they the inventors of the pen? Well, no, because they can't get there without driving there. So it's them and the people who made the cars. But the people who make the cars buy the tires. Who invented the tires? Well, how do those people live? They live off food. Who invented that food? In other words, there is no one person or group of people planning all the things that lead to the pencil being created. But there's a lot of uh, different steps and a lot of people involved. So, And it's so complex that uh, you can't have a central planner if you want uh, anything like this uh, to be successful. Murphy asks, now consider... But before we get into how law is going to work in the absence of a state or a coercively funded monopoly, have you ever gone to a different city, Las Vegas? Have you ever gone to a different city without reading all the rules and all the laws and all the legislation in that city? Did you enter that city and not know what to do? Uh, everyone's killing each other because no one's read the laws? Well, no, you can go from city to city without reading laws. I recently went to Las Vegas to see the Chris Angel show. I read zero of the laws. And I didn't, uh, th there wasn't shooting, there wasn't violence, there wasn't killing, there was just people trading. All right, well, well, that's on a city basis. What if you go to like a totally different state on the total other side of the country, New York? Do you have to sit there and read the laws this way you know what the laws are, this way you can cooperate and exchange with people? Well, no. The law is an arbitrary thing that's written down on paper that people don't even know what it means in the first place. In America, we have the First Amendment, which, in short, says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, let's say you have a law that is so plain and simple. What does that law mean? Does that mean you can't burn an American flag? That's what some judges say. Some judges say that means you can't scream fire in a crowded theater. Some mean, uh, so some judges say that that freedom of speech law means you can't share secrets with, quote, the enemy in a time of war. It also means you can't uh, plan to uh, uh, overthrow the state. It also means you can't libel someone. It also means you can't uh, 
uh, publish threats against someone. It also means you can't slander people. I mean, uh, how many, uh, 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 is that implied at all in that law? No. So the idea that law is this objective thing that exists, and if we don't have its current objectivity with the state's infinite wisdom, then we just have th this, th this chaotic, no one knows what to do, uh, lawlessness. No, not at all. I've actually even been to a different continent. I've been to Italy. I read none of the laws. I hardly knew who Mussolini was, didn't know who the prime minister was. I went there, and for about a week, I went to uh, Cinque Terre, Rome, and Florence, and, and no terrible things happened. I made 50 exchanges between shops, restaurants. I stayed at a hotel. I took a bus tour, uh, met people, uh, went to a bar, went to a karaoke place, all without reading the laws. So uh, does government really establish a law that everyone knows and once you cross this place, you're subject to different laws and thankfully there are laws or else there'd be chaos? No, uh, same thing applies to e even go further east, go to Russia, Oh, before I go, I have to read what Putin and the KGB tell us to do. And really, this is an idea uh, promoted by John Hasness, where he has a article titled The Myth of the Rule of Law, where uh, he defines anarchy. Anarchy refers to a society without a central political authority. As we can see, uh, Las Vegas, New York, Italy, and Russia are in a state of anarchy because there's no... United Nations, you know, run by the Pope who decides every law there should be, because uh, then there's chaos between countries. But it also used to refer to disorder or chaos. This constitutes a textbook example of Orwellian newspeak in which assigning the same name to two different concepts effectively narrows the range of thought. For if a lack of government is identified with the lack of order, no one will ask whether lack of government actually results in a lack of order. And this uninquisitive mental attitude is absolutely essential to the case for the state. For if people were ever to seriously question whether government is really productive of order, popular support for government would almost instantly collapse. John Hasness, professor of law at Georgetown University. Now, again, we are back to the two ways of arranging an industry. You, we, we could have voluntarily funded competition, or we could have a coercively funded monopoly. The first example Robert Murphy gives is the example of a contract. He says, well, it's very likely, according to how humans currently act in their self-interest, that uh, an employer may write out a contract and says anyone who wants to be an employee earn money so they could exchange goods in the marketplace, will say, I hereby vow to not steal from company X, signed the, you know, uh, arbitration company Y. Now, there is something to keep in mind when discussing, um, you know, privately, voluntarily funded competing agencies is the fallacy of unobtainable perfection. This is, when the arguments for and against courses of actions are assessed, it is important to remember that the choice has to be made, but made from the available alternatives. All of them might be criticized for their imperfections, as might the status quo. So, in other words, uh, what if an unjust law is passed? Yeah, 
that could definitely happen. Well, what if an unjust law is just randomly enforced by a firm? Yeah, that is definitely something that can happen, uh, both under private law and under statism law. Do you agree with all the laws that all the governments have passed, all the mass murder, all the wars, all the kidnapping, all the enslavement under the guise of a draft, all the theft under taxation? Yeah, private firms might um, uh, pass unjust laws. That's why it's uh, so important for us to recognize that they don't have rights any other person or group of persons have. Unless one of the options is perfect, the imperfections of the others are insufficient grounds for rejections. Well, what if there's two firms and they don't agree on stuff and then they just like start shooting out? All right, I don't think that will happen because violence is expensive, so they have every incentive or much more of an incentive than states do to go to war. You're more likely to go to war when taxpayers don't have the ability to opt out. But uh, you know who else goes to war? Governments. You know who else? Uh, sol uh, quote, solves things by using violence, governments. The fallacy of unobtainable perfection is committed when, the, when lack of perfection is urged as a basis for rejection, even though none of the alternatives is perfect either. Now, Robert Murphy asks us to uh, sort of use a real-world example of dictionaries saying there is no uh there is currently no uh government imposed dictionary committee where they tell us what all the words mean so we kind of live in language anarchy now think of how dangerous this is um uh, i ask you for something you say you'll give it to me and you give me something totally different and then i say i'm going to murder you and by murder I mean, give you a sandwich, and no one knows what we mean. Well, we, uh, this is not something we actually experience, even though this is what we're told will happen if we don't have a coercively funded monopoly telling us all what laws to obey. Well, the same thing applies with language. So look at all these different dictionaries we have. We have Webster's, we have Oxford, uh, we have Merriam-Webster, we have Cambridge, WordPress, uh, there's even the urban dictionary. So uh, what does long mean? Define long. Explain what something uh, is long. Uh, what is a mouse? Do you mean like the mouse for a computer? Uh, do you mean like uh, the, there's a mouse in my house and this is terrible? Uh, no one's going to know what we mean. Uh, therefore, a state needs to coercively uh, tell us what words mean what. Well, no, we're okay living in a world of anarchic definitions. Now, Robert Murphy asks us to consider... Um, the incentives behind the state providing law and private firms providing law. Well, there's a much wider range of customers that you have an incentive to provide for when you're a private firm. So in other words, let's say you have a, uh, or uh, this also applies to his defense analysis. Uh, we're going to provide security and it's going to cost someone $100,000 a year. Well, uh, some people might buy that. However, you are narrowing yourself to a microscopic percentage of the populace. Private firms have a profit incentive to make their services available to the wider range of people. It's like saying, we can't have private cars because everyone's just going to make Lamborghinis. Uh, well, we can't have uh, private uh, water transportation or, uh, because uh, the only companies are going to make yachts and give it to the rich. 
So the idea that, well, only the rich will have schools if education's privatized, well, only the rich will have security if there's private uh, policing, that, that, of course, is ridiculous. We could look at the cost of TV sets and the cost of computers as examples of uh, these things are much more in the free market than they are controlled by the state, whereas healthcare is more uh, controlled by the state. Uh, according to the Conscience of a Liberal book by Paul Krugman, about 44% of healthcare spending is controlled by Medicare, Medicaid, the Veterans Association, uh, and other state programs, whereas about 36 is uh, private insurance. So well, we have the state heavily involved in things where prices constantly go up. In a free market, you have competitors. You have an incentive to engage in trade research and development. You're trying to get a lot of consumers to buy a product so you'll have a lower price. That's why the more free market, the more people are happy and you meet a, a wider range of consumer demand. The state, you can't opt out of. That's why they produce absolute shit. You also have a profit and loss system. Now, if people are able to not fund something that they don't find value in, it is sad, but they will go out of business. Only about 12% of businesses that were in the Fortune 500 in 1955 were in the Fortune 500 in the year 2016. So in other words, when people don't like something, not funding it is a much better mechanism of seeing whether or not they approve of the product or service than saying every four years you get to vote between two crooks who you're totally ignorant about, both of whom work for uh, the Trilateral Commission or Skull and Bones. Well, it's important that you're able to opt out. So um, it's also important to remember that in here are companies like Raytheon, Pfizer, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, uh, Lockheed Martin, did I say that? Uh, DuPont, you have Boeing. Uh, you, you have all these place, uh, uh, all these uh, organizations that uh, get a lot of their funding from the state. So state intervention makes uh, forces us to fund things we might otherwise not voluntarily purchase. Therefore, without the state, there'd be more competition. There'd be more consumer choice. Everything you could criticize about, well, uh, but private uh, firms might do bad thing X. Well, yeah, that also applies to government. What, uh, private firms might just go around murdering people? Yeah, look, research democide and look at all the genocides of the 20th century that governments, uh, democracies, monarchies, fascists, and communists have engaged in. And you'll see that it's much better for us to have a system that people can opt out of funding and voluntarily choose to exchange with, then it is to say everyone has to uh, be part of this group. Oh, but the Koch brothers are corrupt. Well, everything you can, uh, you can say is terrible about one organization. They, in a state of society, will have the ability to influence the state. So that is why it's much better to have voluntarily funded competition than a coercively funded monopoly. Robert Murphy then says, uh, we might imagine, now, uh, b before uh, we start criticizing this, this is what uh, someone who has studied the field imagines things might look like. He's giving a possible alternative. Of course, he doesn't know how seven people are going to interact when they stop recognizing politicians have extra rights than ordinary people. He's saying this is a possible alternative that is morally and economically superior 
to statism. Now, think of uh, insurance companies where if uh, they will pay you if you are not defended or someone commits some sort of fraud, violence, or act of aggression against you. Instead of a state, the insurance would pay out. Therefore, the insurance companies have an incentive to make sure you're protected and would cooperate with defense organizations to make sure there is protection in a certain geographical area or wherever you go. Most people will spend their lives without violence being initiated, so the insurance companies are much more likely to make money in the long term than have to pay out. Therefore, we could see insurance companies replacing the state as a private, moral, voluntary replacement. Now, think of contracts that you make with insurance companies. My health care and my uh, car insurance last one year. With the state, it's four years of a contract you can't opt out of, and you get a one in a million shot at affecting the outcome, assuming the outcome is legitimate. God only knows how the votes are really counted. At least with insurance companies, it's only one year. And if you're not happy at the end of one year, you can opt out and say, hey, I'm going to Aetna or Humana or Cigna or United One or AIG or State Auto or any of the other things that you can go with. He says, now the objection might come, well, uh, how, how are all these places going to interact with each other? We need a state to monopolize because you can't have... If A and B get in a disagreement, they're just going to go to war and no one cooperates in a free market. Well, we have a lot of examples of different competitors cooperating in a free market. Just think of, I don't know, Olive Garden. How many organizations do they, they compete against, say, Red Robin and Red Lobster, YC's Mongolian Grill. But in order to be a business, they have to cooperate with the people who build the building, the people who make the silverware, the people who make the napkins, the employees, the customers, the people who make the salad, the people who grow the olives, the tomatoes. You have millions and millions of people you voluntarily cooperate with because it's in your interest to provide a final good to the customer. Therefore, this is not going to uh, be totally different if we extend uh, legal systems to the private market. People and organizations are going to cooperate with other firms, just as all state and progressive and state farm interact with each other uh, to provide uh, customers with verdicts voluntarily. Just as Citibank, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, PayPal, these places all cooperate with one another, American Express, uh, in order to make sure that payments can go through smoothly. So there's a built-in incentive for private companies to uh, cooperate with each other, and this decreases the likelihood that violence will erupt and consumers will be much more happier as a result. All property is privately owned, Dr. Murphy reminds us of. In other words, so um, in a state of statism, generally, uh, you have areas that this is owned by the public. Define the public. So is that me? If I'm the public and I own it, I can do whatever the heck I want on it. There are many more disputes when something is, quote, publicly, which just means owned by the state, than if things were privately owned. When it's privately owned, there's much more of an incentive to make sure people are not initiating violence, people are not stealing, 
people are not uh, engaging in uh, any degenerate acts that might lower the value of the property or make the community look bad. So there's an incentive to make sure that things are going right. Now, when no one owns it, well, there's much less of an incentive. Um, do you feel safer on government property than private property? I mean, uh, th that is definitely something uh, up for debate. Either way, claiming that a state owns something does not necessarily increase the amount of safety you have in that area. Also, private firms are much less likely to go to war with one another or to cage people for victimless crimes. I mean, Citibank or uh, United Healthcare uh, kidnapping millions of people for gambling, drugs, prostitution. It just doesn't make economic sense, despite the moral factors that go into it. Consider just the cost of war to the United States in Iraq and Afghanistan, let alone the Cold War, um, World War II, World War I, the Spanish-American War, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. All these things to initiate violence against peaceful people is very expensive, and your employees are likely to die. You're more likely to develop a bad reputation. So all these terrible things that are very costly, both financially and to your reputation, you have much more of an incentive to engage in peace than violence. But if we don't have a government, the mafia is going to take over. This is something that Dr. Murphy responds to. Now, consider what does the mafia do? The mafia, let's uh, take the 1920s in America, really what they did, they were referred to as bootleggers who would get together in speakeasies and people like Al Capone would uh, sell, distribute, transport alcohol, and they were very violent. Now, why are those people not around today? Why is the Budweiser CEO not doing drive-bys to the Bud Light CEO who's planting bombs in the Smirnoff building? Well, because there is no threat of a state uh, trying to cage people for engaging in such activities. When there is a black market, violence then erupts where it would otherwise be something of voluntary exchange. So where does the mafia go in the free market? Is there a computer mafia? A food mafia? A stove mafia? No, it's gambling, drugs, prostitution, all these things the state has made illegal, people who are able to engage in riskier behavior do this and uh, do these types of things. And when you have, say, the Mexican drug cartel, um, the most evil, violent people are attracted, and it's so risky, they're so worried about being caught by the cops and being caged for life, the prices increase much more because there's so much more danger. When there's more danger, they get more violent at people they see as a threat to them, aka competitors or rats, people who tell on them, so they engage in more violence. The reason there's such a mafia problem or a gang problem is because of the state, and also, really, there's amateurs, intermediates, professionals, and then the people who are really calling the shots. If a gangster is someone who uses violence or intimidation to get what they want from peaceful people, I think politicians, the Rothschilds and Rockefellers uh, of the world are much more of a problem than your average drug dealer, who, of course, wouldn't exist in a free market. People would buy much safer, more effective things, just like they don't buy poisoned moonshine from Al Capone. Uh, now that alcohol is legal, they wouldn't buy, you know, these terrible crystal meth 
crocodile things that eat your arm off. So the critic might say, so the state will basically be State Farm or Allstate. So you're not really making any difference. You're just exchanging one from another. Yeah, uh, Allstate or State Farm is basically Idi Amin or Saddam or Genghis Khan or Hitler or Ho Chi Minh or Mao Zedong or Joseph Stalin. Yep, it's the same thing. Well, of course not. If you just want to go by history, death by corporation versus death by government, death by free market versus death by statism, it's not even close. So if you're just a utilitarian, uh, you need to look at this as an absolute improvement from statism. Here is what uh, one researcher says, uh, what makes the state a state and how we know if we're uh, engaging with a government or not. He says, the illegitimacy of the state rests on the fact that it exercises control over resources that its agents never acquired through original appropriation or voluntary exchange, and it does so without the consent of the rightful owners of said resources. That is the principal difference between here are the rules at Disneyland, here are the rules in America. Yes, they're very different in size, but that is avoiding the root. That's not the actual reason uh, that makes government legitimate. I illegitimate, rather. This, what makes the state unique and what makes Dr. Murphy's position not a status position is the companies, he says, may replace the state uh, in forms of security and law. They do not have any extra rights that other people don't have. They just specialize in certain areas, just as one might specialize in science, history, language, mathematics, uh, architecture. Uh, they have more mm, voluntary social authority, more of a recognized, valuable opinion, but they have no more rights. Whereas today, politicians have rights other people don't. The right to draft people, the right to wage war, the right to tax, the right to regulate, the right to force your kids to go to school, etc. So, uh, no, this is not saying we're replacing a government state with uh, an insurance state. Uh, same thing. Both times you have power. No, that's a totally fundamental uh, misunderstanding of philosophy and reality. Now, the ultimate check and balance. The status might say, well, we had monarchy uh, and that was bad, but today we have checks and balances. So it's not just Congress. You also have the Supreme Court. And it's not just... Congress for Supreme Court, you also have the president, and he has the Congress, who has the Supreme Court, and this is how we are checked and balanced into having a morally justified system, to which the anarchist says the only justified check and balance, the ultimate check and balance, is the individual's ability to opt out of participating in the action with the entity. In other words, um, when you have competition between uh, organizations, that is the ultimate check and balance to the amount of power. Can one group get a ton of power because a lot of customers really like the price in exchange for their product or service? Yes, that is possible. But what you ultimately need is people have to have the right and the ability to say no or to say I'm not interested or good luck, Goodbye, I'm not going to participate. Other than that, you really don't have any legitimate checks and balances. A lot of this, um, Dr. Murphy says, is uh, a, a misunderstanding of what the market is. So 
uh, the leftist or uh, the, the, the statist in general might say, yeah, uh, some people worship the state, some people worship the market. Y you both have uh, people who are extremists. Well, this is not having a fundamental understanding of what the market is. The market, says Dr. Murphy, is just shorthand for the totality of economic interactions between freely acting individuals. In other words, what makes the state unique? It has the socially recognized right to initiate violence. What makes the market the market? Well, it relies on the voluntary exchange and respect for property rights. Dr. Murphy goes in to, well, what about consumer protection? We have laws to protect consumers. Don't we need consumer protection? Well, another word for consumer protection is stamp of approval. Going back to the ultimate check and balance, as much as the FDA might make us safe, I have to have the ability to not fund it. Because if I don't have the ability to not fund it, I mean, come on. That's just, that's not really a check at all. That's just one group of people violently dominating another. The FAA, well, what happens to the FDA or the FAA if they produce a poor product or service? What happens is their budgets increase. The state says, Look at this terrible tragedy. This is due to a lack of funding. Look at the Center for Disease Control. They were just starved of funds. Therefore, we need more funding. That's why they did a bad job. Whereas in the voluntary sector, you're more likely to go out of business. More in-depth analysis is done in a book called Death by Regulation by Dr. Mary J. Ruart, where she makes the case that the FDA has no incentive to bring productive drugs to the market that save people's lives. So by postponing the arrival of those drugs, they have killed millions, li yes, literally millions of individuals. If A wants to voluntarily trade with B and C coercively interferes, C is responsible for the death. Robert Murphy says, in the absence of a state, you might have something like CBS5, Consumer Watch, something we have in Arizona. You might have consumer reports saying, hey, this product gets our stamp of approval. We say this is a good product or this is a bad product. Now, is it possible for consumer watch or customer reporting or uh, UL uh, underwriters laboratory? Is it possible that they're mistaken and they do something bad? Yes. You know who else that applies to? The FDA and the EPA and the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and the Federal Aviation Administration. So, again, everything you say can apply to voluntarily funded competition also applies to the state, actually applies to the state tenfold. Now, Dr. Murphy says, trust the state? Certainly we cannot trust the state to protect us once it's disarmed us. So, some might say, uh, but what if there's a private company and they just, like, don't care and don't protect me? Then what's my remedy? Well, your remedy in a free society would be to go to a competitor and stop funding them. Under a state, well, there's been many cases about this. Uh, uh, Winnebago County uh, has also uh, had a case, but the most famous one, Warren versus District of Columbia. A District of Columbia Court of Appeals case that held that the police do not owe a specific duty to provide police services to citizens based on the public duty doctrine. That's going back to the year 1981. But hey, just worry about 
Putin interfering in elections, Stormy Daniels, and Venezuela, and Iran, those are the real threats. Uh, police claim the right to rule us, which is in total violation of the social contract. Only reason we have to pay them is because they protect us in exchange. So if they don't protect us, we don't have uh, the obligation to pay them, correct? Well, no, the social contracts a lie to get people to be obedient. So the idea that, well, private companies are just going to engage in mass murder and not care about people, uh, that also applies to the state. And there's actually a built-in incentive for people to not kill their own voluntarily paying customers to where you can go to a competitor. Also, a big check and balance is no one's going to assume this insurance company has extra rights, whereas politicians, oh, when they cage people for victimless crimes, that's just legislation, and you can't blame the cops. They're just following orders, etc. When, look, 77% uh, of people in prisons, now, granted, this number's up for debate, but a large portion of people in cages are there for victimless crimes. Or think of, I don't know, the My Lai Massacre, or spraying Agent Orange, or the bombing of civilians in Syria, Iraq, and Yemen, or the First World War, or the Second World War, or the, the Gulf War, or uh, Wounded Knee. All of these things engaged in countless uh, innocent people, murdered, and uh, we're supposed to be so terrified of a world without the group responsible for this, government. Please, it's ridiculous. Now, Dr. Murphy then gets into uh, private defense. Now, uh, of course, we've already gone over the morality of uh, being forced to fund an organization you don't think is really defending you or don't think is moral. And he says it's important to uh, use an apples-to-apples -apples comparison when uh, saying something like, Ugh, an anarchist society couldn't defend against Adolf Hitler or uh, the Soviet Union or imperialist Japan, in which he says, yeah, it's true a small anarchist society would have trouble fighting off Nazis, but a statist society would have a more difficult time. Consider uh, th this idea. Uh, one geographical area uh, has one organization called U.S. Government Organization. We'll call it a standing army. Now, if you are able to get that one organization to, uh, 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 if you apply enough pressure, if you kill enough of their tribe, that organization is the only organization you need to surrender, and then you're done. You talk to the generals or the president or the secretary general, whoever's in charge, and if they order their men to stand down, well then... Your geographical area has been taken over. Now, consider the area on the right where you have a militia necessary to the security of a free state, as the Second Amendment says, where you have a geographical area where no one recognizes your right to rule. Imagine yourself walking outside with a crown on uh, from Burger King saying that, I hereby rule you. Now, here's what you have to do. People would start laughing and then if you started really uh, pulling out a gun or a knife or imposing yourself, people would just recognize the right to resist you. I mean, unquestionably. Whereas in the first case, you have, I just got to focus on this one group, I get this one group, and I rule the territory. On the right, you have to sort of H-bomb the entire place from east to west and then hope the survivors recognize you as legitimate. So it's not clear that a status society is much less likely to get invaded or taken over than a status 
society. In other words, it's about finding a balance uh, when dealing with private defense or private law. Uh, how much of your money should you spend on food? Should you starve to death or spend 100% of your money on food? Okay, well, obviously those are extremes. You need to find an equilibrium. Should you spend all your money on church and building the beauty of the cathedrals? Or should you spend no money and should there be no cathedrals? Well, we want to find a balance uh, between, you know, something ridiculously large and non-existent. So the best way to find that balance is to allow people to voluntarily fund things and be able to opt out, allow for free entry by competitors, allow for investment, allow for uh, voluntary research into these agencies. The same thing applies. Churches, food, uh, architecture, housing, legal systems, defense. So when you have things like a state where there's no incentive to find a genuine equilibrium, you can just charge whatever and they'll really pay it. That's why it costs the state trillions of dollars to make us less safe by creating enemies all around the world. This is a famous LA Times headline. $37 screws, a $7,622 coffee maker, $640 toilet seats. Suppliers to our military just won't be oversold by Jack Smith, July 30th, 1986. Oh, President Reagan. Oh, n n never mind. Doesn't count because conservative Reagan was in office. That means government shrunk. Uh, so uh, if we look at the title, chaos theory, this is a term uh, that is a branch of mathematics focusing on the study of chaos, states of dynamical systems who apparently random states of disorder and irregularities are often governed by deterministic laws that are highly sensitive to initial conditions. I believe this is the fundamental understanding of the book here. So even though you don't have a coercive central planner, you have a bunch of people, if you really look at the uh, example of science, history, language, money, mathematics, exchange, ideas, um, history. Although you don't have one entity calling the shots for everything, there is a sort of order that still exists if you take the pencil case from earlier. Dr. Murphy summarizes the main theme of his book, and he says competition and accountability would force true experts to handle the important decisions that must be made in legal systems. It is a status myth that justice must be produced by a monopoly institution of organized violence. Thank you for watching, Keith Knight. Don't tread on anyone.